Welcome back. This is episode 8 of the Flatiron Syndicate Podcast. So there's been a lot that has happened in between the recording of episode 7 and episode 8. Um, Dussex, uh, he's been out and back f- uh, from running Superlap Battle at uh, Circuit of the Americas. Tossa's car is up and running. Scotty from the shop here, his car is up and running. He's taken it out to the track as well. So at the beginning of this episode, basically we're just catching up with everybody, going through you know what everybody's been up to for the last couple of weeks. Um, and we have a really good discussion there. And then we somehow got on the subject of differentials, and we ended up taking a pretty reasonable deep dive into differentials uh, about the middle and on to the end of this podcast. So that's what uh, we're going to be talking about. Hopefully uh, you stay tuned to the end. There's there's definitely a a lot of really good discussions that happen in this podcast. Um, I'll say if you like what we're doing, if you like this podcast, please uh, like and rate this podcast, especially if you're listening to this on iTunes. That helps us out a ton. And uh, the very best way to support this podcast to make sure we can keep doing it, keep bringing this to you, is to head over to our website, which is flatirons.tuning.com. If we have anything at all that you might need, um, you know, your business goes a long way to helping us uh, bring this content, the content on our YouTube channel, etc., uh, or to keep bringing that content to you. So check out flatirons.tuning.com. Please like and rate the, the, the podcast. And uh, without further ado, here's Flatiron Tuning Podcast number eight. A little Colorado koozie. Representing Colorado. Here, say something, Ryan. This is Ryan Dussex, DSX Motorsports, coming at you with the smooth, smooth sounds of the 2020s. That's That's a bad volume for you. (laughs) (laughs) You dialed back a lot. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that was was actually the same same, uh, volume as Tossum. Oh. He that much further away. Mm-hmm. No. Scotty's the one you need to put right in front of it. Yeah. He was he was decently loud on the last one. And he's got to like perk up and get in there too. He's got to flex a little bit on everybody. That's right. He's got stuff to say. He's got, he's got a, that control P to do is what it is. What now? The oh. control P. The print. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. He he speaks through the printer. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you know when uh, he's talking. He's the old Lexmark is jamming for him. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so what's right. up today? Well, let's, so we're back. This is this is Flatiron Syndicate podcast number eight. The Ocho. The the Ocho. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. It's a it's a milestone. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> We, we will actually be in Obscure Sports Weekly this yeah, this coming week. Exactly. The most yeah. extreme, though. The most extreme Obscure Sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. Well, there's it's we've, we've had a couple weeks off, and it turns out there's been a whole lot of stuff that's happened in between. But So we're, we're recording this. Uh, this is February 19th. So, so, Ryan, what just happened last weekend? Uh, well, just last weekend was the Super Lap Battle at COTA that we participated in. And uh, that was pretty amazing. It was pretty, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> that's all awesome. Yeah, and that's all there is to know. Oh, so wow. this is this is that kind of a, it's basically the, one of the early events because obviously mm-hmm. it's in February. Kind of kicks off the season. Kind of kicked your season off to a good start last year. And and, and for anybody that hasn't watched it or doesn't know, I mean, kind of give them a brief rundown of, of how the weekend went for you. Yeah. So. We went out kind of, um, it's like an awkward time for us, like where it's not really sure. It feels like it's the end of the 2019 season since pretty much everything that the car had 
was a carryover yeah. from the 2019 season and less the beginning of 2020. But it felt like, for the, basically, that it was a huge springboard for 2020 from like a, a media, social media perspective. So that was super awesome, super cool to see see everyone that be that involved and that excited about the event. Mm-hmm. But kind of like I was saying from the 2019 carryovers, the car was essentially suspension, brakes, with maybe a few touches of the arrow. I mean, the car was essentially exactly the same as it was when we went to Dakota. We did last have, year. yep, last year, in 2019. Um, we did run that junkyard motor, so to kind of save the, um, the fancy new motor from Ohio, save that one until like we really start what I feel like is the beginning of the season for us. Right. You know, after the car goes through, it's more like 2020 transformations. Well, it's what's cool is it, it made it through. Yeah, absolutely. Like, from, from the first lap to the last lap, the thing was kicking and screaming. Mostly like a quiet peep towards yeah. the end, but yeah. still we were able to drive it on the trailer yeah. and back out of the trailer. So that's a win in its own. That, that is mission <clears throat> accomplished right there. Yep. So for people that follow you and saw like all that you went through, cause, so when we last did the podcast, you had just literally, I think you literally that they had ordered the engine. <laughs> yeah. So now we're, we're here after the event and you got it in the car. What what was some of the stuff that went, like you went through the engine a little bit and so maybe just talk a little bit about that and what you had to do to get it to the point where you could put it in the car. Sure. So first thing we did was check the compression. Um, Zach from the ZF Design gave me a bell housing, so that, like a scrap bell housing. Mm. So we put a starter on it and uh, we kind of did a wet test on the compression just on what we had to see whether the motor was even worth putting the time into right. it. So we did a compression test and three of the cylinders came back at a, a lofty 125 and one of the cylinders came back 60. Like it wasn't any amount of brake clean or ATF or anything we could put in that thing to get the compression up higher than 60 PSI. Yeah. So we um, took the uh, kind of the seemingly unfavorable approach to, to basically bench test to see how much of that was due to just crud on the valves. Right. So well, and that's worth that's worth talking about because so you relatively short on time. You've got an engine mm-hmm. that's fully assembled. So like right. the hope is that the, you take this engine, you drop it in the car, and, and honestly, we we've helped people that that's exactly what they've done. They've, mm-hmm. they've gotten these engines in, and they don't even they don't even test the compression. Right. A lot of a lot of places that sell engines say that they test test the compression, but but who knows? Right. And they just put it in the car and then start it in. You know, hope for the best. Yeah. So you at least were kind of being a little bit diligent up front. But maybe talk about some of the rationale for, well, and explain what you did, but maybe some of the rationale behind it as well. Sure. So one of the one of the biggest reasons why I tested the compression and then made these next few steps I'm going to talk about was to see whether or not we're going to take the WRX down or if we're going to, I had a backup car co-driving with Nick Stenerford. Right. So that was one of the big reasons why I made these next steps. And the biggest reason is, is, I talk a big game about how we're just going to, you know, throw a couple band-aids on this motor and toss it in, but ultimately I wanted to give it some of the treatment that I give the other motors and try a couple other little things out. So before I even did that though, before we bought the first, you know, quart of oil or before we did anything, I mean, I put the engine on the stand, I put it on a leak down test to see like, is it the valves that's leaking or do we have a cracked piston or tons of blow by in the rings. Right. And so before we did that, the night before I did soak, you know, the valves, I did soak the pistons and stuff in ATF, 
And ATF has got a lot of detergents in it to help break up the uh, um, any carbon. So say yeah. like you had a piston ring that was frozen up from carbon or whatever. Yeah. So the thing I did that's that's kind of weird is basically tapped each of the valves to see like if we could get the valves to seal up, like if right. they're bent or they're just covered in carbon or whatever. Because right. these these things are sitting. You know, right. I've gotten these junkyard motors before, and you've had three cylinders that are leaking by because the valve was cracked, and then yeah. you get moisture in it, and it gets rust on the face and stuff. And and this kind of stuff is like you put a motor in a car, and that compression will come back as long as that's what it is. Right. But I didn't want to spend, you know, the 20 hours that I was going to put into it um, if if it was more than just some valves. Well, and, and it's worth mentioning. So this engine. We when you, when it came in discovered that this was not like <laughs> that this was a little bit more of an unusual engine than it than it might seem because it actually was from from what it was from a twin turbo legacy yeah so this means that, so the engine is like at least probably in the twenty year old range yeah so, and, and who knows how long it's been out of the car right and since it's the twin turbo it yes it's an you know it's a non ABCS engine but like okay you have to take the heads off mm-hmm. valve covers you know it, what you know hopefully getting everything that you need to put back together wouldn't take too too long but at that point you're in a time crunch so like if you can do something from the outside just to try and actually even further diagnose what the problem is or not have to go into it right it's a big time savings right i mean if you if i would have put if we weren't able to get it to seal there we know that the next step was to just you know contact nick make arrangements to go down with him and then go from there but we were able to get it to seal, and right. it's definitely a controversial method by all means, but a big part of it was I wanted to make sure that I made the best use of the limited yeah. time that I had and the limited money we had going down. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it controversial. I would call it old school. <laughs> it's definitely a old school. It's, a, it's an old school method. It's something I did on, a, on an M3 motor I have, and uh, it's just it, it's stuff that when you don't have time and you don't have a lot of money, you... you and you definitely would probably want to talk to somebody about doing this before you go home, at home doing this, but right, right. it's something that I've done in the past with good success, and it's and it's just a it saves me time rather than and money rather than Bring, it. Yeah, bringing in an old engine mm-hmm. with with unknown history, unknown right. mileage. You don't know. I mean, maybe this is why the car ended up in the salvage yard so they could pull it out in the right. first place. Is hey, it's not running right. Right. You, you, you just there's so many unknowns. You have to spend a little bit of time and, and use a little bit of ingenuity and hammer mm-hmm. to to kind of suss out yeah. what's going on with the engine. Yeah, you know that it tells you something and 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 it and it all ended up working pretty much exactly as you well best case scenario. Yep. is what you hoped. Yeah, and once we got I mean once the valve sealed up the next step I mean we were excited the next step was stud the head since we had the cams out already stud yeah. the head. Um, get all my timing stuff on it, index the cam gears, like all yeah. this stuff. The stuff that I like to do that I think really makes a big difference, especially yeah. on the top end. And and we also wanted ex- I also wanted to experiment with uh, the Lake Motorsports uh, idlers right. using right. them as like a belt tensioner. So before we go too much further into that, because I want to talk to you about that. Did you, when you studded the head, did you do one bolt at a time or did yeah. you pull the heads and do no. the head gaskets? No. Nope. So you did the old... I don't know, 12 valve Cummins trick is yep. where I've seen that before too. The old blow and go, yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, it held up for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we did it on the 205. Yeah. So it wasn't something that I was. This is the stock engine. Yeah, the, the last engine. Right. This is something we did. We didn't pull the heads off or anything like that. We literally just one stud out, right. one stud in. The ARP's torque is like 30, then 60, then 90. And, and usually the torque, I think they say, is about 52 to 55 foot pounds if you go through like what it would calculate out to, like doing the process that they have. So basically did one stud at a time, to, and then did the 30, and then did the 60, and then went to the next stud until oh, okay. all the studs were in. For the factory stretchy bolts. For the factory stretchy bolts. About 50 something. Okay. Exactly. I get what you're saying. And so then, then once we had all the studs in, you know, and all the stock bolts out, then we went through the actual torque sequence up to 90 foot pounds um, right. on the uh, the studs for the final torque. Hmm. Cool. So that's that's how we did it. Yeah, it's more uh, grassroots motorsport level stuff yeah. right there. I mean, <laughs> like I said, limited time, limited fundage, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's and all they're all they're all calculated adjustments. Risks. Yeah, know? because because you, you with the stock head studs, you knew the like you didn't you didn't have a lot of love for this engine. Right. But but you did so you did want to try and turn up the boost. Yeah. But again, like unknown head studs or age or anything like that. Yeah. At least having an a higher grade ARP stud in there give you a fighting chance. Yeah. It's uh, cool to know that works too. I mean, the Subaru head has so few attachment points mm -hmm. versus like a inline six or something like that, for sure. example, or a V80. Or even an inline four. I mean, just half, a lot of things. half yeah, of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's two inline two sort yeah. of in a way, right? But yeah. still, you know, it's not like it's one of 12 bolts that you're undoing and right. doing at a time, right? You're, yeah. you're getting rid of... Technically, it is exactly one of It 12. is one of 12. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> per head, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah You're absolutely. getting rid of like 16% of the bolts at a time. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's, uh, I don't know, that's cool that that works. Yeah. Or at least it's worked so far. It's worked twice now. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's... That's 100%. That's, 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 that's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think that. like, and in case it wasn't obvious, and um, basically we take each stud out one at a time. So one bolt out, then we thread the stud in, and then we put the nut on, and then torque that nut to 30 foot-pounds, and then torque that nut to 60 foot-pounds, yeah. and then go to the next bolt and take right. the next bolt out, and then do that. And then once all that was done, then we go back with the actual torque sequence. I mean, the argument, like, we're trying to figure out, like, what do I take it? Do I put the bolts in in the order that they're supposed to be torqued up? Or do you take the, put the bolts in right. in the order they're supposed to come out? Like, ultimately, once you get two or three bolts in, like, that doesn't even, does it matter? Yeah, yeah, it's right. all over the place. So the hmm. big thing was, and this is, like, what I, this is what Tasso was trying to help clarify. When I was seeing that 52 to 55 foot-pounds, that's typically what they say the stock bolts are at if you go through the the factory torque sequence. Right, because the factory torque sequence involves a degree. Angles you know, and stuff, um, yeah. Yeah, back, right. back in the bolt off, then right. going to refasten it, and then doing a certain number of degrees. Right, yeah. 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 dance in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. And well, so knowing that the 60 foot-pounds was just a little bit more than... More like, or less equivalent. More or less close enough. Right. And versus going straight to 90, I wanted to have that 90 foot-pound pull right. in the actual torque sequence it's supposed to be. Right. So well, well, it makes sense and it worked. I mean <laughs> don't, don't try this at home. Yeah. Or or under yeah. your shade tree as the case may be. Yeah. But but it in a pinch. Yeah. Well, it's what like I said, it was um, this isn't my super high dollar motor. This was right. the budget motor or like I called it the party motor last right. time. But right. the party motor to get us through and have a good time. 
Well, and what's yeah. cool is it and, it, and it did. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's the long and the short of it is it, it actually made pretty respectable power. You, you were able to put the G25 turbo yep. back on it. Yep. So this is a G25 turbo on a two liter. Yeah. It's a lot of turbo for <laughs> not very much of a built motor. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, I think those motors are a little bit higher compression yeah. than the, than the American 205. So that was, that was another reason to go with the, the stud it, yeah. knowing that that was going to be higher cylinder pressures, potentially at even yeah. lower boost levels. But I wanted, these things had big old intake ports. Like those yeah. intake ports in that motor were massive. Mm. A huge yeah. difference versus the American 205. It did seem what like, is it? well, it, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but it really did seem closer to like, it's not a 207 head, but right. it seemed like from similar design of the EJ207 mm -hmm. big port heads versus like the, the US 205. Did it have still the AVCS style cam girdle, or did it have the normal caps like the yep. S20? Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know all this was going on. Well, that's yeah. That, that twin turbo engine. It's. I mean, I I I've known of them. I've never. That's actually the first one that I've seen in person. It's it's more been an oddity of it than anything yeah. else. Mm. But like the, the twin turbo manifold is actually really cool. Yeah. We were looking at that because it actually you've got a turbo on either side, basically two up pipes. Mm-hmm. But then there's a there's still a front collector that yeah. goes across, and so they're they're like a balance tube kind of kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. X pipe manifold thing. And on that one, so okay. if you guys have watched the video with Colin from Bechtech where he did his own twin turbo setup, he's got two completely separate manifolds, and then so tuning became this weird issue because he's he's only got one usable a two sensor signal to send to the ECU, and I, that balance tube. Mm -hmm. Basically, it seems like they, they, they're they also only running one O2 sensor from one side, but I, I, apparently that balance tube is enough to kind of huh. even out the, the, the charge enough that it, it kind of works better for all four cylinders. Were, right. they, it was, it was cool. were they closed deck like the earlier Legacy turbos? Or? I did not have it off. You don't know yet? I'm so, assuming it's... For all uh, you know, you have like a <laughs> unicorn motor. I yeah. don't <laughs> think so. I don't think that they were closed deck. Yeah, we'll have to not even, I don't even think they're semi. I think yeah. they're just like a two or five block. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the heads were the heads were definitely unique, but everything else on that the the block was visually at least the same. Huh. You know, I didn't really see anything else. That's cool. Uh, we did have we did swap all the sensors over. That was another thing that I knew we needed to do. So like, and including the crank pulley, mm -hmm. you know. So we swapped the crank pulley over. Yeah. Uh, it did only have a ten mil oil pump. We talked about maybe they had a twelve okay. mil. Okay. So it, it was just a ten mil pump. We just ran that pump. We okay. having the pan off of it and stuff. We didn't see any reason to really in, anything inside of there that would warrant, you know, spending the two hundred dollars on a on a newer pump. Sure. When what pan did they use? Did it have well, the two point five pan? Like, it had yeah, the two liter pan, pan, and I was super pan. excited okay. about it. And I got the uh, the little Roger Clark little like pickup little yeah, section. Right. Like I love that yeah, little thing. I don't. Yeah. I don't know why I love that thing so much. It got all this thing bolted on, and I didn't even think about it, and I go to put my header on. You know, I got the equal length Tomei. Yeah. Like, nope. <laughs> big old fail. Got a big old clang. Yep. So, yeah, we had to take, we took that back off, and then put my Moroso pan and pickup back on, which wasn't okay. a big deal. Yeah. But I was just really excited to use that little, I mean, that little suction thing. So I had it on the whole time I was timing the motor, mm -hmm. and, and that takes me... I guess I spent about five hours on it, mm -hmm. um, timing the motor, and that's doing like the adjustments with the lick. Like I knew what I was doing, I knew what I was going into right away. So I knew that I was gonna set everything up where everything was standard, you know, like everything matched up. And then I, I marked the cam gears, 
So I transferred basically the factory alignment marks over so that when I had to adjust the cam gear itself, the outside, I was actually adjusting the cam on the inside where it needed to be. So I got everything timed up like it's supposed to be, and then I basically, with the tensioner, the factory tensioner with the pin still in it, then I basically turned in the, the lick idlers in to put as much tension as I could with it still being on like the tightening side of it. So right, yeah. any of that force that the belt's putting on, the, the hardware essentially, it's still tightening right. the- uh, Not trying to loosen itself. Not trying to loosen itself. If it's itself, gonna do right. anything, it's gonna make itself tight. Right. So, um, so we did, so I did that, and then once I did that, I basically, with my measurements, saw that three of the cams, so the passenger, both passenger side cams and the driver side exhaust cam moved about nine to 10 degrees. Mm -hmm. To get the cams back where they're supposed to be, they were about nine to 10 degrees, and the intake cam on the driver side is only about three degrees off. Now, these are just loose measurements. That's yeah, pretty weird, the, the one, yeah, and this is like turning it over and stuff too. Like I wanted to make sure that that thing was was where it was. Everything, yeah. And and these were like loose measurements because I knew I was going to go back in with the uh, degree wheel and degree everything. Hmm. So I just wanted to make sure that I had enough room on the uh, um, adjustable pulleys to make the adjustments in the end that I'd want to make. So I ended up jumping back the three ten degree cam uh, cams back a tooth giving me about seven degrees or so back for adjustment. And then once I got it from there, then we degreed everything out and, mm -hmm. um, and made the adjustments and mm -hmm. did the little center lines, that same center lines that I did on the, uh, the 205, but, um, but yeah. Nice. So as far as like center lines go, I ran the same center lines that I ran the 205, and that was yeah. a, a like 110 degree intake center line and a 112 degree exhaust center line, and that advances on the 205. We found that advances about five degrees. I didn't try and find a baseline on these cams. I just went straight to it. But one of the things I did notice with the cams is that there's about two degrees more intake uh, um, dwell, like so like six degree total intake dwell uh, on the, the intake valves versus the four degrees that I saw on the 205. So the cams are definitely not the same. Hmm. So pretty interesting though. And the exhaust yeah. was only like two degrees of uh, dwell. And I think the 205 was like four degrees of both intake and exhaust. Hmm. So the intake valve is definitely open not as long on that 206 cam and open longer on the uh, um, on the intake cam, so pretty interesting. Like yeah. just little observations we made, yeah. dinking around with this motor. Well, well, so let's let's move past the engine to the event. Sure. What were, what were some of your key takeaways from from Superlight Battle this weekend? So some of the big things that I really liked was one, I realized with the car being pretty much the same, that I got a lot faster as a driver. And through the whole season of last year, driving the track and stuff, like on the cold tires, scrubbing them in, I went two seconds faster on my first session out at Coda than I ever went the year before or the year prior. And yeah. with pretty much, ultimately ended up having pretty much the same power, um, better front splitter, but everything else being the same with the exception of tires, um, that two seconds right off the bat was great. And then to pick up another second in the uh, second session, definitely had me feeling extra confident in the car. You know, I love the car. You forget how great 
that a car can handle mm. when you're out of the seat for a while sure. dealing with motor issues. Like sure. we really put a lot of the effort into the car and the handling was great. The event was phenomenal. Like the coverage, the online coverage was yeah. great with their, with their uh, the YouTube live stream and the Facebook live stream. Tons of support coming pouring in on my Instagram and on the Facebooks yeah. and stuff. So that was super cool. Uh, the guys at GTA, you know, Cuban Rodriguez and stuff, did a, a lot of gave us a lot of love that first day for sure and, mm -hmm. and in the pit walk and stuff and so it kind of like even though we didn't go as fast as I think the car could have went uh, we still beat you know our previous personal best by three seconds we left with a running car and uh, um, and I felt like a little bit of a little bit of a superstar there that's awesome. you know with the, the coverage and and that was great well and it, and it seems like this event so, so this is super lap battle. There, there's two super lap mm -hmm. battles. There's the one at Willow Springs, and then there's Button Willow. Button Willow. Sorry, get those. I will. I will probably make that mistake again. <laughs> um, but uh, that's in November, uh -huh. and then there's this one in February. So it's you got kind of bookends the season. Yeah. And uh, the one at Button Willow is the week after SEMA. So you've got mm -hmm. a lot of people like. That, that event has gotten kind of big because you got a lot of people that are coming out here for SEMA. They're, they're shipping cars out for that show. And Buttonwill from Las Vegas is not that far, so you got a decent amount of people that can bring their cars, yeah. drivers, whatever, out to that. This one, I think the, the draw, is, it seems to be the venue. The right. going, going, being able to run Circuit of America, this, this big, you know, FIA Formula One track mm -hmm. is, is a big draw. And then like what's what, what you saw or what it sounds like is that, well, some of the cars at least one of the cars and a couple of the drivers from world time attack right in australia they came over to check out that event this time because of because of the probably part because of the, the event and that track yeah absolutely i think the track has got a huge draw because of the quality of the track mm -hmm. and um and so like bart mauer the uh, the world champion world time attack driver the RP nine six eight was there basically hanging out driving that spec Z just railing right. on that thing right. super good that guy was in super good spirit just totally impressed with the facility mm -hmm. um, Brett Dickey those guys with the uh, elusive tuning uh, um, Integra the DC two Integra it's a club sprint car so kind of like a base level class car over there mm -hmm. came over here and they had problems but just absolutely love the track and just pedaling that thing along and like a five-speed k-series transmission mm -hmm. still running stupid fast times with that car yeah. mm -hmm. um and you had they had a bunch of european time attack scouts out there mm. looking to maybe bring some of the european time attack cars to that event for 2021 okay. and so i think it's it's starting to get it's only it's in its second year yeah. at coda but it's definitely starting to get that international draw and that's what the owner Jason Deinhardt is trying to accomplish yeah. he wants to create like a North American Avenue for or destination I yeah. should say for basically the world stage of time attack sure and he wants and at Coda is definitely the track it, it's definitely a world-class yeah. mm -hmm. venue um, yeah. yeah I mean it, it's a technical track it's mm -hmm. you know high-speed like yeah high is it a fun track to drive I mean Absolutely. the facility I'm sure is world-class right? yeah that's the track point. itself. I mean, I've watched videos on YouTube about some of the key characteristics of Formula mm -hmm. One tracks and their long straightaways and their changing radius corners and all this kind of stuff, right? But is it, I mean, you've driven a handful of tracks around here and a lot of tracks around the country that people 
that you know potentially are listening would know mm -hmm. so to a guy that knows high plains or you know whatever else you know down the south or something like that is it fun more fun compared to those is it something that's kind of more comparable to or it's um it's un the biggest thing that's different about that track than any other track i've been to vir mid ohio doesn't matter all the tracks i've been to recently is that that track has got the more grip than any place I've ever been. Like actual surface like quality? Like actual is... surface quality is just absolutely mind-boggling. you think that's prep? or? Is oh, that... absolutely. Yeah. It's the effort that they put into it. It's the quality of concrete that they use. Like, Well, didn't they repave parts of it and, also? Yeah, they repaved like 70% of the track um, to try and make it less ripply and less bumpy. Yeah. Um, but Which, I mean, in improving grip, improving breaking oh, yeah. zones. I mean, they did a lot of work in this last year just to make that thing oh, yeah. you know top level for this year and then you guys were this were one of the second people to <laughs> yeah. be able to go out there yeah, and, yeah we didn't have just... to scrub it in but uh it definitely felt great i mean there's guys who are still complaining about certain sections like uh coming out of turn one and stuff like that but for me some of the parts that upset my car were the braking some of those braking zones and like the dip going into turn one for the braking zone. I had to like, last year I was like, okay, do I brake before it or do I try and brake after it? Like if you brake before it, it's, there's one thing that's odd with me and that's the train, isn't it? The train is <laughs> You think they can hear the train? Oh yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, probably, how about this? Comment on, I don't know, the Flatirons Facebook page. Yeah. If you hear the train, hear the and that train. way we'll know that you're listening to this. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know, we'll give you a sticker or something like that. Sure, why not? That? So I mean, I don't know. unless there's like a million of you guys, in which case nobody's getting anything. Yeah. For the first three people to comment about the train. There, there you go. go. Go fast. Online. Nice social media. <laughs> social media moguls right here. Yeah. So yeah, so the braking zone, you know, like st there's parts where I noticed a big difference this year versus last year. But I mean, even last year, there's parts of that track, and like looking at the pictures, we haven't seen a lot of the pictures come out yet because it just happened literally like yeah. three days ago, but. The pictures from last year that I've seen from uh, um, from MCV, Moto Lyric, and those guys, like the car is lifting a tire at 80 miles an hour in the S's. That's how much grip there is. Is That's that cool. yeah. that on street tires you could get that much grip out of the car? Wow. And so some of it's kind of strange. It's like the track is super wide, so when you like because it's an F1 track and cars could go so fast my mind wants to drive the entire track like rumble strip the rumble strip and that's definitely not the fastest way mm -hmm. so i mean there's definitely like there's those... more track than you need for the yeah, speed that you can actually exactly. get in the report mm -hmm. corner so there's there's a lot of that stuff even going forward that i gotta kind of take take into account you know like those are part of the challenges of that course like it's so it's so easy to feel like you're going fast but really be screwing some of the sections up and just not even know it mm -hmm. um but ultimately yeah that track between the grip the uh and just it's just so big you know and it's so fast it's yeah. it's it's so, super crazy well yeah. on, on the like watching it on live stream you look like you're going so damn slow because <laughs> the track is so big yeah it's like and, and, and not and because you've seen a Formula One car do it. Yeah. Too, right? yes. yeah. But you watch this car come out of the corner and you know they're, I mean, the pedal's down and they're yeah. going as fast as they can. And you're like, yep, yeah, there, there, there they go. And now they made it yeah. to the rumble strip. <laughs> yeah. And on. Yeah. I mean, it is, a, it's, it's it is a, a big, big track. It is a big track. And um, definitely, so Scott and I were talking about earlier about how, like, do you think that maybe having Arrow inhibits 
you or do you need more arrows? Like some of the fast cars, some of the guys who are running absurdly fast times run low amounts of arrow. And I definitely think because the track is so big with so much run out room, that if you have the power to really, without the arrow grip, you have enough run out room to really utilize the right. power. So you know? it's almost a low drag track for sure. a slow for car like a slow we car, have. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, yeah. if the guy who took first in Unlimited in a, a GT3, mm-hmm. now this is like a, basically a stock GT3 on a factory spec tire, and he ran a 215 with factory GT3 arrow. Mm-hmm. Now, Cole Pelson in that Life Motorsports GTR with all that Andrew Brilliant arrow making probably... 5,000 pounds of downforce only ran a 207. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, last year. La- last year. Last year. But then you have actual um, GT3 cars that are running, what, 158s, 159s yeah. out there. And so, mm-hmm. of course, these are factory built GT3 cars with, you know, full flat bottoms and the right amount of arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But, you know, so at a point, like, and that's what I was asking Dussex, is that arrow more of a penalty is is there more drag out there than hmm. the and you're on a nine lives wing yeah is that right and a homemade splitter yep because basically the arrow is legal for street mod uh, or street even though we ran limited but basically the full five inch you know surface area on the splitter right and then the, uh, the rear wing you know like roof height and all that other nonsense. splitters are pretty efficient too and those nine lives wings are pretty efficient super so, efficient right like mm-hmm. where do you have efficiency to gain well but so zach sober i mean he took first in enthusiast class last year took second this year running the this orange sti with no arrow on it and he ran 228s yeah so yeah 228s out there i mean easily a second faster than i think i could have gone if everything went well so and on a stock, on a stock block with the big turbo, mm-hmm. but, right. but like no arrow and and two hundred and twenty tread wear yeah. tires. Mm. So I mean, like maybe so, you just don't need a lot of arrow. I wonder if at that point it's almost as much about controlling the air, like engine, um, you know, cooling, mm-hmm. ducting, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you know if you had a factory car, the factory does a decent amount of fuel efficiency testing, mm-hmm. right? to meet its EPA numbers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I wonder if taking like an AC condenser or whatever out just makes it ducted that much worse. Right. And you actually, you lose aero efficiency more than you gain a weight advantage or something. Mm-hmm. I'd be well, curious to. What what percentage of the lift do you think you are full throttle? Um, I would say like front stretch, downhill, into the S's. I'd say probably about 60% at 60%? least. 60%, okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe more, but I mean, you got, you're got you not full throttle with the S's, and that's one of right. those parts of the track that I think the arrow can help. Sure. And um, Because and those S's, they, they tighten up. They so. do, yeah. They basically kind of, they, they kind of suck you in, and then they make a big jump to the right. Mm-hmm. So like I was entering at like 103 or something yeah. in fifth, push through the first one in fifth, and then you kind of let off of it, and then you downshift in the fourth, so you're going like wah, 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 through it in fourth, and then huge downshift and breaking into the last one and just mm-hmm. cutting through it in third. Mm-hmm. You know, so I watched uh, Dan Williams was coaching me some a little bit at the end of Saturday and watched some of the Spec Miata stuff, and I mean, they use a lot of that runout room, so even still talking about that like track to track, you know, mm-hmm. like is it that big of a deal? You know, is it too wide or whatever? A lot of those guys are still using in the Spec Miata world 
I mean, a ton of the inside rumble strip space, you know, to try and make that some of those turns as straight as possible too, you right. know, and definitely a lot of time, a lot of time in there. Like with it being as big, it's easy to get sucked in to like how big the track is, you know, sure. width wise. But at the same time too, there's a lot of opportunities with a car as narrow as a, a regular car, not going F1 car speeds to really utilize some of that inside track stuff. Sure, sure. Might be something to play around with next mm -hmm. year. Like maybe go after the first session with no wing and no splitter yeah. and just see what happens. Well, we did that last year though. <laughs> the, the, the APR uh, wing, then yeah. we went to the Nine Lives wing. And then we dialed the Nine Lives all the way back and I carried a ton of speed into the S's. Mm. And it was like one of those things, like the S's is one of those parts where you really need some, some arrow, mm. any kind of arrow. And I basically was flying to the S's, you know, I had like three, three miles. And, dude, and I spun so hard, too. <laughs> like, like, oh, God, we're going full send. And then the thing was just like, nope, that's it. Like, you, like, the, the spoiler has left the chat. Yeah, wow. And it was just like, I don't know. So, I mean, I think there's definitely a balance. Like, the faster the cars go, the faster the cars can go, obviously, the more effective the arrow can be, but probably on the light side, you know? Mm. Guys like JC Manet, those guys and the, the track subies, um, the Hawkeye or whatever, like he's got a lot of arrow, but I don't know how conservative he's running it. Um, yeah. Jackie Dane, tons of arrow on his Supra, and he went just insanely fast. Yeah. So, well, I don't know. He's got more power. So he does. That, I mean, it's 500 horsepower, though. Yeah. And so, but still, lots yeah, of arrow that, on That would be car. the interesting thing, just... So with the low power car, which I mean I think it'd be fair to call your mm -hmm. your car currently low power, yeah. with with even you know this big a front splitter as you have, mm -hmm. maybe on that track that is more of a penalty, but yeah, who knows? Just got to go out there double the power for next year, yeah. and just see if that so that balances it out for the air. Wonder yeah. what the track fees are for Coda for a little testing. <laughs> I was talking to a some. Of the, I was talking to some of the guys <laughs> who uh, were locals there. And they were saying to do a half day there was seven hundred fifty bucks, to do wow. a, a half day lapping day. Wow! So like an open lapping. Yeah. yeah so like I'm bitching about fifteen hundred dollars yeah. for two days and an entry fee, and these poor guys that live local to that track who want to drive there just in general are spending seven hundred to fifteen hundred bucks for a, a full day there. Wow. So I mean it's definitely not a cheap track. Right. And I imagine their availability is really small too sure. on what's what's open for. It does for seem like there's a lot of events, a lot of testing oh, yeah. goes on there. I'm sure that just the end of the something I didn't really think about what, until Jeanette was kind of making it known is that there's a lot of money that goes into just post event track cleanup. Sure. You know, and I'm sure with the the detail that they have and and how important it is to keep that at a grade one track. I'm sure that costs a ton of money for them to uh, um, to clean it. Sure. Let, so. let people in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all that stuff gets factored into it. Man. Well, it's not, I mean, it sounds like it was a great event mm -hmm. this year. It was a good event last year, great event this year. Man, just very curious. Like, you, your season is, you've got a lot of plans for the season. Mm -hmm. I don't think, we, we don't have to go into it now, but like next year could be really, yeah. really cool. I don't yeah. really know what the results were, like across the classes and stuff. Um, I, I tried to watch some of the live stuff and then yeah. went on. On, on Race Hero, you can get in there and search results by group. Okay. We can post it too, because <laughs> I did so poorly. I'm not necessarily worried about it, but I think I got 10th of the 13th Unlimited class, so this step below Unlimited. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely a lot of people went pretty quick. 
but uh, the fastest time from last year wasn't wasn't broken. So I mean, that's from an unlimited perspective. So I don't even know what the classes are. Unlimited, limited. So it's unlimited, limited, street, and enthusiast. Okay. So enthusiast is like two twenty or higher treadwear tires, and they've got limitations for wings and all that other right. aero stuff. So kind of like a street body class. And then uh, then you have street, which now you'd be able to do like different motor swaps or big power, and right. aero, and uh, now you're running 200 treadwear tires, um, which in this place are all spec Yokohama tires. And then limited is basically like either, you can either look at it as a gutted street class, like where the interior is gutted, or you can look at it as a reduced aero unlimited class. Okay. Like it's kind of like fills, like where they have aero limitations, um, where unlimited doesn't, but uh, they have more liberal aero allowances than they do in street, right. and and no interiors and sequentials and stuff. Do you still have your front half interior like you had before? Dude, I have the cars exactly the way it was. Just like it was. Yeah. So I mean, it's it was it was a legal uh, street mod car or street class car, but um, the uh, I wouldn't have done much better though. Like the street class cars are just so fast so i ran to put it in perspective i ran a 233.5 i believe and the guy who won jackie ding and his super who won the street class ran a 220 point something dang oh i didn't realize jackie ding was still in street class yeah okay that's all I'm 13 wow. seconds faster than me dang. so that's, that's in his in the new supra mm -hmm. in the new yeah the new supra yep Man. Those are pretty sweet though too. I know they're getting a lot of hate from Mark IV purists and stuff like that, but admit that it's a different car yeah. and it's a pretty cool different car. Yeah, and they're still dealing with a lot of uh, traction control issues. And Jackie is doing it like he's basically doing this one lap at a time. You know, he doesn't get like a back-to-back -back laps because they're having traction control intervention. You know, usually after, they'll go out, clear it, take it really easy on the warm-up lap go out and beat on it and have a fast lap. And if they go a second lap, usually it'll intervene and then basically reduce the car down in power. Huh. So they'll have to come in, shut the car down and basically re-key cycle the whole system so they can go out and do it again. Thanks. So I mean, there's, so Jackie is like doing it like that too. So I mean, really impressive, um, hmm. really impressive, I think. Yeah, so oh, man, that's crazy. Well, it's a good cool. thing it's a time attack, so all you need is a lap. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's crazy. Hmm. Well, let's talk about the other big thing that happened this past weekend. Huge. Huge. Huge? Yeah. Tossed his rally car fart. Oh, farted. hell yeah. It farted. It farted. <laughs> it farted up. Yeah, it starts. Or yeah. it started, anyways. So, um, so, so Dussex, you got your engine in, and Tasso, you got your engine in. Yeah. I finished up a bunch of exhaust stuff. I made that megaphone tip for the yep. hill climb exhaust, yep. like I promised. Yeah. Um, it looks sweet. But I have... Uh, the muffler cat combo on it for some street miles now and okay. it uh sounds good everything's running okay i was messing with uh just on its first little 10 minute start up and flush kind of thing i was messing with the uh, idle adjustments in my ecu mm -hmm. and i accidentally entered 14 rpm instead oh. of 1400 at one point and it kind of stalled itself out yeah. it fluttered itself when it stalled oh, okay. <laughs> but it, but it's fine um i just <laughs> but i decided that was probably the over my 10 minutes anyways and it was time to drain that oil and uh nice so yeah waiting on some fluids now and working on other projects still um 
you know, it's something I was saying to someone earlier. It's I'm doing a bunch of projects now that wouldn't necessarily hold me up from competing on a weekend, mm-hmm. but it's stuff that I've been putting off, and it's time to get it done finally. So, stuff like repairing the exhaust and right cutting more weight out of the car. Mm-hmm. When's your like next that. event? Like, what is your like showdown throwdown time? Right. Hill climb series starts in May, like okay. mid late May. So I still got some time. Um, well, but you gotta get the engine started, get the engine broken in. Yeah, so I gotta get a lot of break-in miles in there, gotta get uh, the tune updated. Um, I gotta go out of town for like most of April, so that takes a, takes a big chunk of time out of there. We still gotta go to the track at some point here yep. before the season mm-hmm. gets started, so yep. gotta do that. Some, um, yeah, some serious some serious grudges yep. have to be settled out. Yeah. Right. I gotta you gotta lay the smack down quick. Yeah, quick oh, and like yeah. to the point. Yeah. You think your new motor is going to be that much thicker than Hell yeah. my new motor? All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't build mine. That's why I know it's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Got to do that. Grudge matching. I got to go to Cars and Coffee and Hard Park real good. There you go. I got to get the livery put on the thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm really excited for that. It's being done by. Uh, Another time attack track day hero kind of guy, a friend of ours, Nigel, mm-hmm. and uh, WRX buddy. Yeah. Um, Nigel Teeks. Nigel Teeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, you guys should talk to him if you want to get a livery done too. He's looking to get into some livery design and kind of graphic design for cars and stuff like that. So. Um, well, and, and honestly, just a, a quick note on that. If if anybody listening to this is starting to try and go to these events. We, we've talked about it a little bit, but there is a there is a difference in the way a car appears if you've just got a car that you put a bunch of stickers on it, yeah. Yeah. versus actually having, like, not not necessarily a wrap, but like maybe even some, just a cohesive idea of what right, where sticker you're package. That's what uh, ultimately kind of inspired this, even to start this conversation um, with Nigel was that my car was starting to look pretty just scattered. It, was, it almost looked like I don't know, a newspaper classified or something like that, just stickers all over it. Um, it's because it's red that it looked bad. My car that has oh, stickers whatever. all over it, it's white. It's because you have like four stickers. Way better. <laughs> you need way more stickers and then it'll start to look White more is busy. right, dude. I mean, that's, that's just the thing here. Uh, I heard from a world-renowned photographer that red or yellow are the two best-looking car colors for race cars. It's probably the easiest to photograph anyway. Yeah. So. I, I got some compliments like on the green wheels being like it's easy to shoot the car with the green highlights versus just right. a blue car with black wheels right. or whatever. So that's, I, mm. I do get that feedback. I have black wheels and everyone says that it looks like the wheels just kind of disappear. Yeah, yeah, they do, but whatever. It looks good. I like the sneaker punk fun. idea that you got with the white wheels. White wheels, yeah. The red so car. Every once in a while I run some white wheels, but I think it looks mm-hmm. like a... a I don't know, like a basketball shoe. Right. And, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look bad, I guess, if you're into basketball shoes. Um, yeah. But, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, though, the yeah. point is the car got kind of busy looking. Um, you know, it just was a bunch of stickers. And so, um, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you too much. It's going to be on theme and pretty badass. It'll still be mostly nice. red. Um, kind of some red and white and black. And still a touch of that gold. Uh, I've been running. Um, what am I looking for here? Gold leaf oh, yeah. for my yeah. numbers for numbers, a yeah. couple of years now. Kind of like the fire engine numbers. Yeah, yeah, or you know, barbershop or whatever. You know, sure. um, and I've always. I, don't know, I think it looks good. 
they're on the red card and everything, so the number will stay gold leaf, but it'll look good. I'm looking forward to that, but I gotta get that done too, which means another day of, I mean, fortunately, I need to put braking miles on the thing, so, you know. Yeah, get miles on it, get it driving. Exactly, it is still randomly street legal. Even my wife, who is also my co-driver, the other day asked me how I was gonna put braking miles on it, and I said, I'm gonna drive it around. She goes, on the street? Like, yeah, <laughs> it still has a plate. I got a spark arrestor. Right? What do you want? <laughs> I don't know what. Uh, you know, just don't look too hard, please. Yeah. Please don't look too hard. Yeah. Um, it's probably fine. It's so, probably fine. Whatever. Yeah. But you drove that car like the last few years to a lot of cars and coffees and never had an issue. I've been pulled over a few times. Um, usually for exhaust noise, and usually <laughs> at night because I think they're looking for someone up to no good. Is this pre-megaphone exhaust? Pre-megaphone, oh, but my. still twin scroll. I like twin scroll stuff. I'd be curious if someone knows the science behind this. The twin scroll stuff, I think, is that much louder. Mm. And I think it's because it's that much more open of a design or more efficient or more mm. better flowing or just better overall in a bunch of ways. Um, but it's also like noticeably louder. Um, mm. And so since I've gone twin scroll, unless I have a muffler on the car, I get pulled over every single time I drive it on the street. Wow. Um, and so far, at least, it's been a, hey, don't let me see you out here again um, kind of thing. And I have to tell them, yes, it's actually a race car. Yes, that plate is for this car. Yes, it's insured. Mm -hmm. And they'll go and check it and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So Well, that, I mean, it is a rally car. <clears throat> and that's one, of the, that's one of the oddities with rally cars is because there's transit. It has to be street yeah. legal. So I, I conform to the minimum, you know, insurance requirements for what yeah. was Rally America and yeah. I'm guessing ARA are yeah, the same, yeah. same insurance requirements now. And, you know, it's a... Uh, so it's basically just tell them you're doing a transit test. Uh, yeah, I've, I've told them, I'm sorry, I don't normally drive this on the road much, but I'm trying to break into motor. And they're like, all right, well, don't let me see you out here again. And then I just take a different way home the next couple of weeks. There you go. <laughs> Find a different way home. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe don't go by the playground anymore. So, <laughs> no. Step Brothers reference? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. It's, I'm getting tired of telling the internet community that, oh, yeah, just getting it going, working on projects. I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited to actually start and, like, make noises and do cool stuff yeah. again and stuff like I'm, I'm tired of working on the car too. It's cool because so. both of you guys have made big pro big progress. I mean, I don't think we talked about it last time, but Scotty, you took your car out to, to Pikes Peak. Yeah, that's happened that since then. Yeah, that was two weeks ago? Two three weeks ago. ago. Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Yeah, so Scotty, your car's running. Well, tell us about yeah, it. It looks great. Yeah, it looks sick, dude. And, and it's all, all white. All white. All white. Like the three Don't. stickers it has on it. It's not too much. <laughs> and the it's red accents. It's like a little cloud yeah. just rolling the around. The gigantic splitter and stuff. <laughs> it has a, a sweet new splitter on it. It looks yeah. good. New splitter. Got the, the, the Nanolite's wing actually mounted up. Um, it felt amazing not driving that car for damn near a year and a half. Um, yeah, so many of these projects, I mean, when the car is down, like like Ryan was saying earlier, you don't drive the car, you, all, you almost forget. Like, there, there can be a point where you're in the project and you're like, why am I doing why, this? Why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> is, this, is this car even any good? And then you finally get it done and you drive it, you're like, that's right, that's yeah. why. That's why. It yeah. is that awesome. And, I mean, it was, it was really good. So, uh, full cage, um, full stitch welded chassis, um, 
that was basically the biggest changes that and then Samaro. Um, yeah. oh new diffs new OS Geiken rear diff uh, ZF designed upgraded front diff rebuilt center diff because my clutch packs and my center diff were gone you still running the two plate setup too yeah okay I don't I don't have the the, the older one that has yeah. all the all the plates in it yeah, so basically, Super changed the design of the center of DCCD. They have started out with a lot of clutches, and they've just kind of been taking clutch packs away. Mm-hmm. And so. when you you drive it really hard, what I, I had thirty three thousand miles on a center diff, and the clutch plates were completely gone in it. So I really kind of didn't have a center diff. It was basically fully open mm. for the most part. But yeah, so new new diffs, and um, that was probably the. The coolest thing about driving the car again was just having that grip, being able to mash that throttle and have enough grip to steer with the throttle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean diffs, diffs are something that we're starting to do a little looking into. Like it's not done yet, but Viet's in the process of putting in a Cusco diff in his Civic. Um, <laughs> Civic, what? <laughs> <laughs> the Super Civic, the Super yeah. Civic, yeah. Yeah. It's the all-wheel drive, front-wheel drive Honda Super. Yes. Yeah. No. This but, should be fun. Yeah, but this, I mean, diffs are one of those cool things. I mean, but I mean, yeah. if the people that are people don't realize, like the 08 through 14 WRX is basically a two-wheel drive car. Yeah. There's nothing all-wheel drive about it. It's and an I, open front. And it's two wheels diagonally opposed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have one front and one rear di- yeah. diagonal. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people go and put five, 600 horsepower in these cars and then don't do anything to actually put the power to the ground. That's one of ZF Design's favorite lines right there is get that power to the ground. And yeah. it's, it's hard to do. Um, but pe- people don't want to spend the money on differentials. And well, it's, it, it's because they're expensive and you can't see them. And there's there's, there's no blink factor besides when you right. unbox yes. it. And I right. think there's just like it's hard to picture what they do. And then there's there's confusion behind the different types. Oh yeah, yeah. people are like, oh, I've got a limited slip. Mine's working. I right. never break traction. I'm like, well, yeah. Most most people think there's two kinds of diffs. Well, three. Three, if you've listened to Dussex, there's open, <laughs> limited slip, and welded. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, but but there's actually like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of minutia in that in what it what all gets lumped into limited slip and they all look differently. Well, and but a lot of people don't realize that, or don't even actually realize what they have in there. Like the people who own WRXs, like the early WRXs at least had viscous differentials yeah. in there, which provided. Some well, just in the rear, but just in the rear, yeah. but it provided some amount of, of grip from left mm-hmm. to right in, in the rear. And like the 08 through 14, I mean, these people are just like, I have an all wheel drive car, but they don't. Well, it's because the manufacturers like Subaru switched, so traction control was mandated in 2008. And because it was mandated, what they decided to do is to not spend the money on the viscous rear diff or do any kind of rear differential. And well, it's got to have traction control anyway, so we'll just. Use the traction control, which, which is applying, Jesus. which is applying brakes. Yeah. Right, right. All right. that, all that is, is breaking the wheel that's slipping. The only wheel, like sure. one front and one rear, that is actually giving you power, and it's applying brakes. Right. To right. those right. to help keep you straight. Doesn't work great. No. Like it's it well, does and, not work real well. And I would say, just back to the, my previous point, part of that confusion is because if it's if it's not open, it's a limited slip diff. Yeah. Is what people think, yeah. but there's there's viscous, oh, there, yeah. there's there's a torque biasing diff, which mm-hmm. is any kind of the gear type. Mm-hmm. Then there's the plate type diffs, mm-hmm. 
um, and they all behave differently, but they all get lumped into this limited slip, and then once they have the same name, everybody thinks that they're the same, but they, right. that they aren't the same. And just so we don't get hated on by the four-wheel drive crowd and stuff like that, yes, we know there's spools and mini spools and lockers well, and sure. e-lockers yeah. and, and, and air lockers and, and, and yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> so man, but they're all they're all they're all limited slips. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so enough of that. We're going to yeah. move past that. This yeah. is performance car. Well, and books. so, you know, before I was running a Torsen, the, the stock um, GR 08 through basically, what is it, 19 now? Yeah. Um, Torsen style rear differential. And it, you do have lockup, you do have some lockup, and it will basically try to push the car through until one wheel starts to lose grip, and then it basically kind of goes to full open. Well, that's, yeah, all the torque biasing diffs, when you have one wheel that slips, it becomes, it behaves like an open diff. So, you know, if you come into any corner with the tiniest bit of slip angle and trying to apply gas, and it's just like, at, at that point, it's a two-wheel drive car, and it's like the, the front is kind mm -hmm. of pushing mm -hmm. you through, like one back wheel, but it, yeah, there's well, not much there. You discovered in watching... You, you were having a, an issue was in turn three, coming out of turn three turn in Highlands, turn two, where you, you had this sound and you're trying to figure out what it is and finally realized that it was actually the inside rear tire that was starting to spin. Yeah. Huh. I mean, on that same token, I mean, at Coda last year, 2019, we started off with right, a, right. Uh, an AP Racing portion. And yeah, that's, I, that's a weird diff, yeah. but it is it does fall into the torque biasing. Right. And so I was kind of lifting a little bit, unloading the tire through this one kind of tight turn um, off the back stretch. And I was like, man, this is, does that feel right? Does it feel right? We swapped in just uh, a modified STI clutch type and picked up 11 mile an hour exit speed out of that one turn. Mm -hmm. wow. So, I yeah. mean, that's... Yeah. Clutch type clutch types are, yeah. they're the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They are well, what is... And that's why that's why we picked the, the clutch type for you, Yeah. Even though it's front wheel drive, it just, you... you if you, I mean, even though it's really good, good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know why you're. Even though it's it. half wheel drive. Yeah. Why do we even hang out with you? Yeah, you yeah. can't this see it, but Viet is sitting like a good fifteen feet away from the rest yeah. of us. Yeah. He's closest to the door. He's ready to run it anyway. Yeah. He's as close as he's welcome. Spread the coronavirus. <laughs> oh my god! Oh man. But it's but it's it, with the clutch type diffs with a front wheel drive car. If you're going to try to start to make power and you're trying to exit out of corners and stuff like that, the, the torque biasing diffs have a really good drivability for the street, which is why like a lot of the cars have like that's why yeah. Subaru has and they're low maintenance. Front, they're yeah. low maintenance. Low maintenance. But then you, you get to that point where if you're going to start having a tire slip, then the effectiveness of the diff just goes away, and that's where the clutch type comes in. And then the the other part of that the learning or even now learning more about is how tunable the clutch type diffs are for behavior mm -hmm. versus the welded ones i mean that that's why you go clutch type instead of welded that's is true yeah that's true you, when you weld them i mean that's yeah. it well the diffs are pretty predictable until they're not though that's yeah true. So. i mean if there's always that's the one of the biggest downsides they're never open ever like <laughs> never. not even off throttle like they're right, always yeah. that's kind of the downside <laughs> yeah that is a pretty major downside but i mean other than that, though, I say other than that, but I mean, there is, that's that transition, you know, that's yeah, why the two-way right. is so much better than just a weld of diff. Right. right. You yeah. know, you actually have tunability, 
you actually have like those those moments that you can actually tune into your driving style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the old Hobart Handler 5000, yeah. you don't yeah. get that option. It's a pretty right. low budget, low budget. Yeah, that yeah exactly. Pretty, that's not even like a Lincoln Locker. <laughs> uh, well, you know, since Miller bought Hobart, all those discs got better. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Man. As, well, a, as a person that grew up playing Gran Turismo, though, I definitely knew that yeah. Limited slips had a lot of adjustability in them, mm-hmm. and they're like lock up ramp an- ramp angles, mm-hmm. how much it locks up on braking, you yeah. know, a lot, a lot of that initial stuff. torque, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's a, uh, but it's and it's it is though I think one of the single most imp- like important uh, improvements or modifications for handling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, so what do you have in your car? I have a modified STI rear. The DCCD center and then a Cusco. Cusco, it's a one way front. front. Yeah, one way front. So it's basically like the like yeah. the 04 STI clutch style rear. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think it's actually yeah. a 03 STI one. Okay. Um, but yeah. right, so it's and the modification. It's I just won't uh, tell it's, you about, but it's some fiddling with the clutch backs yeah. that's in there to help it get a little bit more. It's pretty street friendly. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was an OEM clutch type diff, um, yeah, but you can is, do some work, yeah, to they, make it a little bit more motorsporty and a little bit less street friendly. Yeah, they have relatively low preload, and so like mm-hmm. the, the STI actually, Super Technic International, makes a rebuild kit for the factory diff that's like a motorsport rebuild kit that increases the preload. Yeah, or you can talk to ZF yeah. Design about yeah. it, and you'll have you'd be happy to set some, your diff up for you. Some plate mods, and that's the same diff. It sounds like we're both running the same rear. Yeah, it's and a pretty good budget rear diff mm-hmm. option for the clutch type stuff versus mm-hmm. spending another whatever they are seven or eight hundred bucks on a on Cusco a rear diff too. So yeah. and yeah. it's at least still clutch type. Twelve hundred and fifty dollars for a Cusco, fourteen hundred dollars for a Nova Skyken. And thirty six hundred bucks for a Modena. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. But it's that, or you don't spend that money, and you go spend however much on entry fees for a year, say a thousand bucks or whatever, or for your, you yeah. know, you go to one event at Coda and you spend what do you say, fifteen hundred bucks? Yeah, and for you just the entry. Don't fee. do as well. So what's the yeah. point of showing up in the first place if you don't have good discs, yeah. right? So, and I I know that what's that's a little bit difference? cynical. Uh-huh. Oh, man, your jokes are just right. slipping right by me. <laughs> <laughs> they they, they oh, need to make dip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's a. Uh, oh yeah, we were talking about your car when we got off on differentials. Um, um, so, yeah, Scotty's car. But I mean, really, it's not just low low traction surfaces, high traction surfaces to yeah. benefit yeah. from it. And uh, and so, so basically, I have I have uh, grip there, which yeah. is awesome. It, which is just amazing. I mean, the the more I drove it, the more I actually got used to the clutches. The more it was, um, you know, as opposed to waiting for the apex to see my track exit, I could get on the throttle way earlier and actually mm-hmm. throttle steer through apex on the mm-hmm. track exit. And I mean, that like, you know, 20, 30, 40 feet of sooner, like before the apex and getting on that power was just amazing and like how much extra speed I was carrying into the next corner which kind of surprised me a couple times I was like oh shit I'm, I'm, I'm going faster I'm really, really going faster than I thought I was mm-hmm. um, but yeah you know it's I, I tested it out at PPIR which isn't the best track for you know setting up a new car and testing things out but it was still fun um, 
definitely excited to, to get out starting, again. It was a good shakedown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like completely burned through a 13-year-old set of Hoosier rain tires <laughs> in three sessions, which was Sweet. amazing. Which means you're probably driving around with more slip angle, which means you're probably driving around yeah, with a mostly, better cofa- I mean, yes, they're Mostly old, front too. slope, yeah. slip angle. <laughs> I was like, man, why is this? What can I do to get the push out of the car? I was like, I don't know. It could be these tires. <laughs> well, <laughs> and and then, and by the end of it, there was like, they, they looked like uh, slicks. Yeah. They didn't yeah. look like reins anymore. Well, they, they were old. They, they, they've served their time. Well, I mean, the fact that I got basically an hour and a half of driving out of those tires was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's a good start. Yeah. Good but then, you know, I put on brand new R comps after that and went out and the car just felt amazing. Mm-hmm. That's it, awesome. it, it definitely came alive. God, it sounds so good, too. Even with all those damn mufflers, yeah, it those mufflers good. are pretty amazing, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually surprised oh, how loud your car was. I'm like, damn, mate, no wonder why he wants to keep the mufflers. <laughs> well, you've heard the Pikes Peak car. You've driven the Pikes Peak car. You yeah. know how loud that thing is. And that has a muffler on it. And that's got one four-inch muffler on it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's that loud, but I'm always surprised by how loud something is. Like, I was even surprised how loud my car was. I'm like, God bless. I wonder why my neighbors hate me. Are you ever surprised at how loud you are? Nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Only when I stand in the corner and talk. <laughs> my monitor's on, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Man. I'd be curious. So this is something I figured out after putting dips in my car, even on a track on a high grip surface. I found myself just matting the thing and just letting it just pull these big old mm-hmm. four wheel slides out yeah. of corners and stuff like that. As yeah. opposed to before where I was kind of like, mm. you know, keeping it hooked up and making sure all the tires were doing the things they were supposed to do with the diffs on the car and being a four wheel drive, a true four wheel drive car now. Mm-hmm. I just mat the thing, kind of use the wheel to get it pointed about the right direction and just let it do its thing. Well, right? and, and, and it's a, it's almost a completely different style of driving from yeah. like, driving like with the steering wheel and applying a little bit of gas to like mashing the throttle and then using that to to kind of steer exactly where you're going right. and like fine-tuning it with the steering wheel it's and it's fast right or it can be it's cool it can be it's a lot more fun it's probably super slow on dirt yeah no. oh no it's the same anyway. it's the same idea on dirt man <laughs> just point the nose <laughs> about the right direction and get on the gas and let Subaru figure the rest out. But then you actually went out being a dirt driver and drove on tarmac with properly set up differentials. And you drove that thing with that slip angle like it was on dirt. And, I mean... Well, hopefully less slip angle than dirt. I, was, I had some thought behind it. I'm trying to get it maximized. But, but yeah, no, it would, uh, with good differentials, it was... This is what I was curious and... Um, you know, interested to hear your experience was, was about the same as mine, where it was much more uh, aggressive, loose surface style of driving, but applied to a high traction surface. Right. right. It, and, and who knows, right? I mean, I'm not a professional driver. No one in this room is. Maybe we're doing it really wrong, but it feels more really fast. More than likely we're doing it pretty it feels wrong, really fast. as long as it feels fast. You're seeing more miles per hour in the next I, corner. I've not gotten any calls from any Formula One teams for anybody. Yeah. Not even for... <laughs> Not even the right. Not even. Not even. Not even wrong numbers. Not even the wrong numbers. Yeah, is there a Colin Colin McRae there? We're looking to recruit that old guy in a little while. I think I don't know if he's available right now. (laughs) Well, so but 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 back to your point. What's interesting about having diffs that are set up right and and let's start with with open diffs is you know as you apply the throttle, once once you start to spin a tire, then that's where the car 
like if it's in the front, it's gonna understeer. Mm -hmm. If it's in the rear, it might oversteer, or at least the rear would get loose because you're just losing traction on that one on that one wheel. And you're losing drive. And you lose drive. Yep. So so then you're not you're not rewarded for for getting on the throttle, and you you kind of get an inconsistent behavior. You know you're not you're not you're not sure what the car is gonna do, but you get the clutch type diffs mm -hmm. that actually are locking up and grabbing. And that's where you get the consistent behavior because the clutch types are, they're always, when it, when it locks, it always locks. Mm -hmm. And so once you get that consistent behavior, now you can consistently go to the loud pedal right. and, and throw the car in that way. And that's, that's the interesting part. I mean, I'll, so for my car, I have torque biasing front and rear diffs. And, and so far, like, I don't make enough power to get to the point where I'm really spinning tires and, and it's or driving aggressive enough that's another part of it yeah. too right that's right. i mean that's what because that's nick's argument right nick's like well i don't have enough power to really warrant a clutch type and right. then every time he hits a rumble strip right every time that wheel spin gets jacked up on one side and he's spinning right. out right mm -hmm. but but that's what the clutch type tips give you is that is that consistent behavior mm -hmm. and then like with the higher the more power that you make you know you if you had a torque bicing diff you're going to be breaking those tires loose mm -hmm. way way more and so then that's where you get all the weird inconsistent behaviors and, and, and whatnot, and the, that, the clutch types fix all that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think kind of back to your point, Tasso, is the reason that it works is because of the way that the clutch type diffs work. Mm -hmm. And so that it, you get the yeah, consistent behavior much more consistent doing that. Like, so you know what it's gonna, you know what's gonna happen when you just mount, mash the loud yeah. pedal in that scenario and then, and then you can mm -hmm. learn to drive with it. I noticed when I had, a, I had whatever that cheap, Torsen diff is um, that's available for Subarus in the front. factory? No. No. Um, Cheaper than that? I don't know. I don't know what that OBX? one is. OBX. Yeah. yeah. I had OBX. Oh, yeah, definitely cheaper than that. And oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, even before it spit out all of its Belleville washers, it, uh, <laughs> and it did, like through yeah. the transmission. Yeah. Uh, somehow it survived. But even before that, and especially after it, the front traction was so inconsistent yeah. that in in-car video, I noticed way more steering wheel work and way less consistency in the slip angle on a corner because the front torque, the front you know, um, power being applied was moving around so much that the yeah. car was just all over the place. Yeah. And then going, obviously, I mean, even going from there to an open front diff, I had an improvement in times and in driver feel versus that torque sensing front diff because at least I knew the front end wasn't going to be doing anything right. as you opposed to, to trying to do a little bit of something and then yeah. ultimately failing. Yeah. Um, so it uh, it was then a whole new world, especially going to the clutch type stuff after that. It's funny because that's a conversation that we've had with a number of rally people. There's actually a guy in here in the last week that I had the same conversation. It, because your rally car is on dirt, because you're you're slipping the car so much, because the wheels are basically going to be spinning kind of in in its normal course of use, having the clutch type diff, especially up front, but you know front and rear, that's where the control comes from. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of the rally guys that don't that don't think of that or that don't appreciate how how important having that level of control or consistency is. So like the, 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 the guy that was in here last week, he was talking about how he needed to go through his engine and try and maybe get it up to make more power because he, he felt like it was pretty underpowered. But he's still running completely stock drivetrain, like stock five-speed, open front diff, mm -hmm. stock viscous rear. It's like, 
Well, actually, if you would just put clutch type front and rear diffs in to get that consistent behavior, so that now as you're going into a corner and you're you're kicking the the car the, the tail of the car out, and you can actually control it with the throttle and with the steering wheel, mm -hmm. now you can carry so much more speed through because you have the control, you have the tools to control the car in that scenario. Whereas with with an open front diff and with the viscous rear, you just don't have those tools. Right. So you're along for the ride. Like once once you kick the tail out, I mean. You, you're starting out the way that everybody else does, but from that point on, like you're along for the ride and you don't really have a lot that of That torque is going to find a wheel to go to and it's going to yeah. make its own it's gonna, mind up about which yeah. wheel it's going to go and to. And not to mention a viscous, a viscous diff is, it's like such a reactionary diff too. Like it's it counting is. on It's pretty the soft even when it does work. Yeah. Yeah. It does count on that differential wheel speed yeah. to, to yeah. viscify that fluid up. Yeah. It also has only two spider gears in there, oh, yeah. as opposed to four in most of the clutch type yeah. designs. And I used to, even just in rallycross, I would take teeth off of those spider gears. I went through a couple of rear diffs, um, just chunking teeth off, and they would still work. You know, like, I didn't even know until like I'd be changing the oil and I'd get more teeth out of the oil. <laughs> got to put another diff in it. I got more teeth out, and this oil changed, right? Yeah. So was it yeah. Jeff that was in here? No, no, Jeff. Jeff's one of them though. Jeff Huser. He's he was we that. It was probably a little over a year ago that we had the same conversation. Yeah. It sounds like a Brad Ames conversation. No. <laughs> well, so Jeff is a really aggressive, has an aggressive mindset too, yeah. and it's reflected in his driving. Yeah. And so it's that much more beneficial well, um, and, and, for and a so, guy like him to have a good diff setup that for rewards sure. that aggressive driving. So, so Jeff's, Jeff's one of the examples of that, and he's one of the guys where I had that exact same conversation with. Because right. he he's got an open lights car, so it's a 2.5 liter naturally aspirated engine that he, his car was totally stock, like 160, 180,000 mile engine, making probably 120 horsepower. And, you know, it was that same conversation, like, I, I feel like I need to make more power. These guys are getting up to, you know, 180 wheel in these cars. Mm -hmm. And found out he also was running on the stock drivetrain. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you need you need diffs. And, and he put them in, uh, he, he got the Cusco front and rear. Yeah. Uh, we helped him with, with the Cusco setup front diff. The, the, the setup of the front diff for the rally cars is significant. That's, that's a whole other subject. Mm -hmm. But, but and then all of a sudden, he said it took him about, I think, two stages to really kind of start to get used to what all of a sudden, like all the new tools that he had to control the car. And then from that point on, he just got faster and faster. I think he took second. Um, but he's doing he's, better than he was. He's doing way better, yeah. way better. And more control. I don't, as far as I know, he's not crashing as much. Well, <laughs> well, see, he had a crash. He, had, he didn't have an yeah. off. Uh, I love you, Jeff. Yeah. What, what was it? What was it? Was it LSPR last year where we crashed as well? Yeah. There's a lot of mud and it was a sloppy road and so. Yeah, so that's going to happen. But yeah. he had some overdriving issues, I think, with the worst diffs. And I don't know. I don't want to speak well, for the guy. He's a pretty talented guy and a guy that I respect as a driver. But in my opinion, he has some overdriving issues that I think a good set of diffs settled down a little bit for sure because again like you you think you have an all-wheel drive car right. so that you actually have a lot more tools to control the car in a slide but if you've got open diffs it's it's yeah. it's an all-wheel drive car until the, they start to slip and then and you just, just, you just don't have those tools two-wheel drive car yeah, yeah. or one-wheel drive yeah you know and it's that's that's the significance of having that that good diff setup is it just it gives you so yeah. much more tools to control the car. It's turned into a whole expo there on differentials.
Yeah. Man. Oh yeah. Which is always a good talk. Which it's which is all, I mean it's it's I mean, no one ever talks about it enough. Yeah. The royal it, they're they're un, they're underappreciated and unloved, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. You know. I mean it's like well with front wheel drive cars, I mean to get them to work, to get it I mean if you're gonna start to make decent power, you yeah. have to have a good setup diff to get it to yeah. work around the track. Is that much more important? Oh yeah. you have well, half oh, yeah. as many wheels driving. What was the the stock front diff? Was it open? This is open. Yeah. 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 Fully open. Well, and the ITR ones are helical. Yeah. Normally. I've, so. I've driven the ITR one and you can feel a difference, but like yeah. you get you get one tire lifted yeah. or whatever. I mean, usually yeah. what ends up happening with those poor Hondas is that you start getting a tire lifted on a, like an aggressive helical, mm -hmm. then you start breaking drive axles or worse. Because it'll dip. spin and then you get exactly. traction and it snaps mm -hmm. and then yeah, the Yeah, because I mean the drivetrain in the scheme of things, it's so short in a front-wheel drive car that there's a lot of shock load that's happening to all those components sure. when you're doing shit like that. Well, that happened to me with this helical front diff on my Subaru, too, mm -hmm. where when it was bouncing around the dirt, it would, um, <clears throat> like, pick up, spin that wheel, I could feel the car lose mm -hmm. drive, and then it would lurch and make yeah. all sorts of weird noises when that wheel hit the ground again. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you're set now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I went with the clutch type. So yeah, I'm absolutely. pretty excited. Yeah, so yeah, it's gonna make a world of a difference and make me more confident. Yeah, driving. Yeah, it, just from the consistency. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's something where like I, we we played around with it a little bit, but I just want to play around with it more. Mm -hmm. it, it's that the the worst part in the Subarus is that the front diffs are so buried in the transmission. Yeah. yeah. Like the rear diffs are relatively easy to get to if you really wanted to play around with different setups. Mm -hmm. It would it would it's something you could do reasonably quickly in a day. But the front diffs, I mean, that's you're dropping the trans, splitting the case open, yeah. yanking the front diff out. Like that one, that one. There's more reason to try and get it right the first time yeah. versus being like. Throwing, throwing experiments at it. That's why if you look at old Subaru WRC documentaries and stuff, when they would want to change handling characteristics, yeah. which was largely differential setup, yeah. they would swap transmissions. Just have yeah. they like have, that transmission setup just ready to go? Right, sure. they'd have different transmission yeah. setups and they would to do a front diff, they'd slap a transmission in it, like yeah. some dry brake fittings, and then there you go. On, on a track or on course or on a, in an event, that makes way more sense because yeah. mm -hmm. you're not going to have the tools to, to tear a transmission. Yeah, and especially in the dirt, it's probably hard to keep it from getting contaminated. Sure. You know, putting rocks and other unknown Bellevue washers yeah. in there. Well, and <laughs> I, I will say, just to, just to point, uh, point for Cusco, we've been working with them for over a decade, but they have a huge knowledge base. Mm -hmm. the, the, the guys that are doing it now have been doing it for a long, long time. And so they have this all these different setups and like for motorsports or whatever, and they're just like, ah, like for, for me it's car. Well, what, what is it? It's a Civic, okay. Road race, is it, what are you doing with it? Okay, yeah, we're doing this. And then they just say, well, you know, we've got these two different setups, you know, this one does this, this one does that, which one do you think? Okay. And then they just they yeah. put it all together. And so they, they go out and they pull out the books that they worked yeah. on 15 yeah. years ago and perfected. Yeah. yeah. And now they're sitting on a shelf, just a wealth of knowledge. Or maybe yeah. longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. They've worked on a lot of race cars. They've worked with a lot of race teams over the years, mm -hmm. you know, professional and amateur. And so they have a huge wealth of knowledge to tap. So it's nice to have something like that to, to make it so you're not flying as blind uh, with the setups. Mm -hmm. 
So that's a reason to go through John here at Flatiron Sphere Cusco Div is because he knows the guy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, and and to listen to him and to listen to yeah. the right people. Yeah, he's he's right. uh yeah the guys at Cusco USA are pretty knowledgeable. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of drop-down menus for, yeah, this is for a turbo Subaru no. on gravel, right? Yeah. It's, it's a small subject and, and one that we're actually going to get into with the video here soon, but I think that's like the, the other part of the limited slip diff misunderstanding about like all these different types of diffs, that there's actually a lot of different, that there are different types, is that once you get to a clutch type, set, there's, there's, a, there's a world of options with setup, and they all matter. And so like being able to to set up the clutch type diff makes makes a big big difference. So, but that's it's something that I think is maybe a little bit underappreciated or misunderstood. So, totally. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's time for food. It's time for food. It's it's been, <laughs> a, it's been I think we're. Hey, we're, we learned today that yeah. Coca Cola is worth six donuts. What? Yeah. Yeah. There's enough. <laughs> there's as much sugar in a Coke one Coca Cola. As there is in six donuts, so yep. I only brought a dozen. So that's that's basically Man. two so servings. Two two servings. It's so only like right. two servings. So donuts. if you learned nothing else, yeah. If you made it this far, <laughs> donuts are actually we, healthy. Yeah. Eat right. more donuts. Yeah. If you uh, were the first person to comment about the donut thing, <laughs> then if you come in, Ryan will take you on a date to get one donut. I'll give you a dab and then give you a donut. <laughs> <laughs> and just in case you heard dabs, because we're in Colorado, no, yeah, I think it's just a handshake, like that little handshake. Yeah, just one, one sound sync clap. Yeah, that one, one sound, sound, sound sync clap. clap. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. yes, that is yeah. yes, that is yeah. currency around here. Yep. And as a disclaimer, none of this is an actual promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 any of the things that we've talked about on the podcast today are known to cause cancer in California. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, so don't go to California. Consult your physician before taking any advice from us. Podcast here. was <laughs> reported on a closed course by a professional driver. <laughs> right. If, if you've been listening to With this pictures podcast, of professional drivers around us. That's right. Yeah. If you've been listening to this podcast for more than four hours, you're stuck on a loop. It's yeah, not that it's long. Not. Go outside. Yeah. You're on episode eight. Yes. Uh, well, thanks guys for coming out. Thanks, Brian, uh, DSX Motorsports, Tasso from OTC Racing, Scotty from the shop, Viet from the shop, yeah. John, me from, from the shop. shop. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking around to the end. And um, as always, stay tuned with Flatiron Student. Enter. How long was that? Two hours? That was a long one. Felt good. All right, that was Flatiron Syndicate podcast number eight. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Uh, that really means a lot. Um, yeah, just thanks very much. Uh, really, we really do appreciate it. the fact that you guys listen to this, or especially if you're listening to the end of this podcast. You're 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 awesome. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, like I said in the beginning, if you can like and rate the podcast, that really helps us out a ton. And make sure you follow the guys that are on the podcast. Um, you know, uh, Dussex from uh, DSX Motorsports, Toss from OTC Racing, and uh, check out Flatirons Tuning. So thanks very much for listening, and as always, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning.